Are you a kid or a grown-up? A kid. You're positive? How do you know you're a kid? Because I'm five years old. What do you want to be when you grow up? A pop star. What are some things only grown-ups get to do? Drink coffee. If you had a million dollars, what would you buy with it? Um, a race car. If your mom or dad had a million dollars, what would they buy? And what if a grown-up decided to have fun? What would they do to have fun? Well, mom and dad sometimes play games at nighttime. What are you looking forward to doing the most when you're finally grown? Go to work. Mm, help people. It's pretty good. Aren't we uh, blessed to have Chris? And Connor leading worship tonight. Didn't they do a great job? Thank you, guys. How many of you can harmonize like that in your wildest dreams? That's me, right? It's great to be with you tonight. My name is Shay, and uh, it is such a privilege. My heart is full. I've been praying for you. I'm excited to start this new series. Uh, we're, we're talking about growing up tonight, and it's, it's, uh, it's appropriate to be talking about that and celebrating graduates it's appropriate to be together in the house of the Lord together tonight to worship him. And I just want to say from the outset, this is my uh, last weekend to get my hands on you at the Lakeville campus. And as, uh, before we start this new series, um, before we dive right in, I just want to say to you, I was, I was reflecting, I had a lot of time to reflect today, and I was reflecting on how much you have blessed uh, me and my family and how much... God has done in our hearts since we have been here in Minnesota. And please hear me when I say this. We love you, and we are so uh, blessed to have been here for this season in our life. And here's what I promise. Here's what I promise. I promise that I'm going to do my best to make you proud in a brand new city and to see God do something significant that helps people and makes a mark on a city that really needs some help. And I'm excited to be in a new location, in a new context to do that. That's my promise to you. And then my other promise to you is tonight, as one parting last gift, I promise to leave it all on the field, to give you everything I got, to pour out my guts in preaching and, and, and get you out on time still too, okay? So I, I'm, I'm excited to do that. And uh, are you ready? Let's jump in. Let's jump in. We're talking about tonight, we're talking about this new series, we're starting it, it's called Grow Up. Would you just elbow somebody next to you and say, he's talking to you right now. Grow up, grow up. You know, we, we listen, we live in a world where you look around, starting all the way from our politicians, all the way to our celebrities, to our pop stars, to our musicians, if you look at anybody in the, in the spotlight, one of the things that we could say about them, isn't this true, that they should grow up a little bit. Come on, sometimes we see people living lives and they're just making a mess out of their situation and the people around them. We look and we don't have great role models almost anywhere in our culture right now. If there's ever a word for us in our society, in our context right now, it's this idea of growing up, growing up. Even in, even in the New Testament, this is a theme. Over and over again, the writers of the New Testament talk to the church at the time, and they say, listen, it's not enough just to accept Jesus as your Savior. It's not enough just to pray a prayer and to get saved, to have your sins forgiven. Over and over again, throughout the New Testament, we are encouraged to grow up 
spiritually in the Lord. That we are encouraged not to stay babies in the Lord. Not to just keep going back to the fundamental things, but to actually see our lives change from the inside out to grow up. How many of you have been in church a long time? Maybe like 10 years plus, right? All right. How many of you have been in church or following the Lord for like 20 years? Yeah. How, anybody 30 years or more? Yeah. Look at this. We've got a lot of seasoned believers in the house. Now, I've got a 10-year-old and I've got a 7-year-old. There are certain things that are acceptable for my 10-year-old and my 7-year-old to do. You understand? But if they were still doing those things at 30 years old, how many of you know we would have a failure to launch type situation, right? We, we would have an intervention for that kid. And so what the New Testament writers in the same way would say to us is that we need to be thinking about how are we growing up in our walk with Christ? Are we advancing? Are we different than we were 10 years ago, than we were a year ago, then we were last month or even yesterday. How have we grown today in our walk with the Lord? That's what this message, this idea of growing up is. And we're all called to do that. Here's what we're going to do with this idea of growing up. I'm excited about it. It's going to be a great series. We're looking at the Old Testament and specifically we are looking at a king in the Old Testament named David. Now, you may have heard of David all the hands went up. You've been around for a long time. You know the stories of David. You know the great exploits of David. You know how David had great failure in his life. But the thing that we like about David is that we have his entire life, almost from birth. We have his childhood all the way until his death. And we see a man who is called by God, and we watch the progression of how David, as a young man, steps into this calling that's on his life, and he fulfills what God has asked him to do. And it's not without mistake, and he's not perfect. So we just thought that's a great picture, snapshot, of what it looks like to grow up in the Lord. And so we're going to be looking at the life of David. And today we are going to start with this this story that many of us have heard before, and I'm excited to dive right in. You know why? Because it's just hard to mess this one up. Okay? It's almost like stacking the deck. We're going to be looking at David and, you know where I'm going? Goliath. David and Goliath. First Samuel chapter 17. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, break it out. Bring it out, as always. If you don't have a Bible and you're new with us, we would like to give you one. So on your way out today, stop by one of our Bible cards. Take one of those red Bibles. It's yours. Take it home with you. I dare you to start reading it. I dare you to start reading it. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 today, and we're going to start in verse 8. I want to read a few of these verses that is, it kind of give us and frame in this story of David and Goliath. Remember, we're talking about growing up spiritually. Let me set the table for you before we just dive into 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17 describes a, a time period of about 1,200 years before the birth of Christ. Okay, so 1,200 years, this is a long time before Jesus ever shows up. It's a period in Israel's history where they've inherited the promised land, they are living there, but they have enemies. These enemies are called Philistines. Philistines, if you look in the Old Testament, the Philistines are the, the, the one thorn in the side of the, Israel, or of the Jewish people, of the Israelites, over and over again, they're fighting the same people, the Philistines. They just won't go away, right? They're just bugging them all the time. This 
is the story of one of the battles that they have with the Philistines. They are in the Valley of Elah. It's kind of a, a no man's zone in between the, the west coast of Israel and the mountains where Jerusalem is. There's, there's a, a bunch of land there. And the Philistines are advancing from the coast towards Jerusalem. And the, the children of Israel, they come out to meet them and fight. All right? So this is the scene, what's going on. And um, they can't get rid of the Philistines. And I want you to see something here. Uh, There is a giant that is introduced on the side of the Philistines. His name is Goliath. And so as the two sides are standing and facing each other and they're about to fight, Goliath steps out and he challenges them. And this is what he says in verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted and taunt stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? I, uh, he called, I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Let's just pause there for a second. They weren't just the servants of Saul. They were the servants of Jehovah. But the Philistine, this giant, is calling out to them and he's saying, you're serving a man and not Jehovah. That's significant. And so they're calling that out and he's saying, look, if you're just... Uh, if you're just going to lean on and trust in a man, then come on out here and fight, right? So he goes on to say, he says, uh, I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Then Saul, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, watch this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Let's pause for just a second. I want to make sure that uh, we're on the same page. One of the things that's happening in this story is in, in ancient warfare, many times what would happen, instead of both sides killing lots and lots of people, and both sides, all of the men from one side and all of the men from the other fighting one another, they would pick out a champion from each side, and then they would allow the two champions to fight by proxy they would, the two champions would fight each other, and whichever champion from whichever side won, that side would win the battle. It was a way to save people, right? And this is what's happening here. Goliath steps forward, and he represents all of the Philistines, and he says to Israel, send out your champion, let him come out here to fight me, and whoever wins will be the victor. Now, let me ask you a question. Who do, do you know who probably should have been the one that stepped forward on the side of Israel? Saul. Somebody said Saul. And you know the story. Saul was the man who was the king at the time. In fact, this is what's said about Saul. Watch this. Saul was head and shoulders above the rest of the Israelites. He was the king of Israel at the time. And here is this giant on the other side calling out should have been Saul, but not only were all of the Israelites scared of this big man, so was their king, Saul, all right? So this is the storyline, this is the context that David is introduced into. David, this man after God's own heart, this man that we're going to be studying for the next four weeks. Watch what happens. Verse 12, now David was the son of man, son of a man named Jesse, and if if I even practiced this. Oh my goodness. Ephrathite. Thank you. From Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time and he had eight sons. So we're introduced to the family of David. David is introduced as one of eight children. 
David was a shepherd. He was insignificant. His older brothers were on the battlefield, and they were there to fight the Philistine. But they, like the rest of Israel, are shocked, scared, and hiding, hiding out in the ditches, hiding out in their ruts, the Bible says. And so David is sent by his father to go take supplies to his brothers. Now, here's, this is significant. I know we're doing a little bit of Bible study right now. Just hang with me. We'll get to the good stuff in just a moment. This is good stuff too, by the way. But David takes a, a, a package, a care package to his brothers. Now, here's what we know. You had to be 20 years old to be able to be on the battlefield at the time. David was not allowed to be on the battlefield. He's carrying a care package from his father to go see his brothers. So what does that mean about David? He's under 20. Most scholars would think that he's about 15 to 17 years old right here in this story. So a young man, a young man, 15 to 17 years old. Can you remember what you were doing at 15 to 17 years old? You probably don't want to say it in church. <laughs> David is 15 to 17. So I just want to paint that picture because he's young, right? He's young. But look what happens. David gets there. We're going to skip a lot of the story because, well, let's just see. There is... 58 verses in this chapter. So go home and read it later, okay? Well, I'll just summarize for you. So here's what happens. David goes to see his brothers. He gets there, and he realizes that all of Israel is hiding out. There's this giant taunting Israel. Everybody else is, is hiding out. David says to his brothers, why don't you go do something? His brothers said, be quiet. What do you know? You're just young. Don't get out of here. And David said, you know what? If you're not going to do something about it, I'm going to do something about it. So here's this 15-year-old, steps forward on the battlefield and is willing to step out in faith and go for it to confront the giant who is defiling the armies of Israel. Let's look what happens. Verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at, his ruddy, at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I will give your flesh to the birds. And wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild. Okay, so it's rated R. Did I tell you that part? (laughs) If we made it a movie, we couldn't all go see it. All right, so... This is in the Old Testament. There is, and, and so let's, let's, just, let's just skip down here. Verse 48. And Goliath moved closer to attack. David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling, and he hit the Philistine in the forehead, and the stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword with him. David kills the giant. 1 Samuel 17, this is the word of the Lord. Here, here's what I want to say to you about this. This is a crazy, crazy passage. And, and admittedly, some of you may be in the room and you're just checking out church for the first time. And it's like you show up and your first sermon is about some shepherd boy cutting off a giant's head, right? I, I feel for you. Not the whole Bible is like that, all right? But we're looking at, we're looking at a particular story in the Old Testament that I believe really does speak to us in our current context. It has something to say to us about what it means to grow up in the Lord. 
And here's what I think. I think we can learn. There's a lot of stuff we can learn about this story. We did a comprehensive study on, the, on this book, on this chapter, on this story, on these people. We would learn a lot about even ourselves and how to interact with the Lord. But here's what I want to pull out. I want to pull out two things specifically today in the remaining time that we have together. The two things I want to pull out for you, number one, is that if we're going to grow up spiritually, if we're going to step in everything that God has for us in our lives, if we're going to experience his best, then we have to reclaim childlike faith. Childlike faith. We're going to see how David represents that in just a minute. If we're going to step into, if we're going to grow up, if we're going to see and experience everything that God has for us in our life, we have to grow up. We have to grow up. We have to reclaim our childlike faith. And then the second thing I want to pull through here, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, is that if we're going to grow up spiritually, if we're going to be everything that God called us to be, we have to be people who are willing to face the giants. Willing to face the giants. Number one, the first thing that we learn about this story, think with me if you will. Think about this story. Think about the two categories of people that are in this story. Come on, David, young man, 15 years old, shows up with a care package for his brothers. He gets there. What does he find? Does he find Israel full of bravado, Israel full of faith, Israel ready to do battle in the name of their God? Does he find that? No. What he finds is that Israel is hiding out in the ditch. Most likely they probably had a caravan there, and they're all kind of peeking over the wagons to see this giant who's out in the valley calling them out by name. Here's, here's you got to understand the scenario. The story tells us that for 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath did this. 80 times he stood and he mocked God, and he mocked God's people. David shows up. And he is blown away, 15 years old. He looks at all the older folks that are there, looks at King Saul, and he says, why don't you guys go do something about this man who keeps mocking our God? There are two categories of people here. The first category is David, fearless, believing God's promises, believing the stories that he grew up hearing from his childhood about God's amazing grace and deliverance of his people through insurmountable odds. This is David. He believes it. Not only has he heard it, he believes it with all of his heart. And he, this is David. He's fearless. He's following the Lord. That's one category of person. It's, there's David. And then the other category is everybody else. Everybody else. Watch what's happening. Do you ever do this? Everybody else are looking at the odds. Everybody else is looking at the circumstances, the evidence that's right in front of them, and they are naturally in their own, through their own natural eyes, looking at the situation and saying, I'm not going out there. No way. Holy smokes. Somebody else go. What I want you to see here is there is a stark contrast between David, this man of faith, this young man of faith, and everybody else. Have you ever been there? Come on, think about when you were young. When you were young, nobody could tell you anything. Come on, some of you wanted to be an astronaut. Somebody, some of you said, I want to be the president of the United States. Some of you said you wanted to do this or you wanted to grow up and do that. You had faith. You had imagination. It didn't matter what anybody said to you. They, even if they told you it was impossible, you say, ah, you're old. You don't know what you're talking about. You were full of faith. You were full of imagination. My wife's imagination was so crazy when she was young that her parents couldn't even put her in the corner. Because when they put her in the corner, she would throw a party with all of her imaginary friends and have the time of her life over there in the corner. 
She still does that. Anyway, so <laughs> when you, come on, think about it. When you're young, you're full of imagination. When you're young, nobody can tell you anything's you Life hasn't happened to you yet. You didn't grow up yet and realize that that thing was impossible. But what happens to us? When we're young, we're full of faith. We're full. When we're young, we believe the stories really easy. I would just challenge you, just, just volunteer in our children's ministry one time and go in there and watch how the children hear the stories for the first time and they come home. My kids do it. They come home and they go, Daddy, did you know that David killed a Goliath and killed a giant with the rock? I said, yeah, buddy. Wow. Right? But when you're 30 years old and you hear that for the first time, you're like, yeah, right. That never happened. Right? What happens to us? We get old and we lose that ability to believe easy. We lose the childlike faith. But what David shows us is he shows us the value of what it means to believe God. Even when it looks impossible. Even when everybody around you is saying it can't be done. David says, get off of me. I don't want to hear what you have to say to me. I believe that God is who he says he is. And I believe he wants to do something about this giant. It's childlike faith. See, childlike faith is crazy faith. Childlike faith uses its imagination to imagine the world a different place. Childlike faith dreams big. Childlike faith doesn't scare God away. Childlike faith draws God closer. Look, look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. There it is. You like that? Bow. Ma- sorry, it's Matthew 18. I was wrong. That's why it was my fault. Matthew 18. <laughs> They're up there going, Matthew 11, we don't have it. It's Matthew 18, I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Matthew 18, 3, Jesus speaking. Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like, look at it. This is out of the mouth of Jesus. Unless you turn and become like what? Children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Holy smokes. I mean, that's like some high stakes there, folks. Jesus says to us, you want to be big and bad? You want to grow up and be a spiritual hero? Reclaim your childlike faith. You want to experience the kingdom of heaven? You want to walk in everything that God has for you? Reclaim your childlike faith. You want to f- experience what God can do in the miraculous and see over- insurmountable odds overcome? Reclaim your childlike faith. Everything in the kingdom ex- is experienced. Watch me. Everything in God's kingdom is experienced by, you know, faith. Faith. Faith is believing God. Faith is trusting him. Even salvation itself, our sins being forgiven. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. I think I got that one right. Yes. Watch this. For it is by grace you have been saved. What? Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Faith. Faith. Do you know that everything I've ever done in my life in ministry has been by faith? I I came to Minnesota. We came, my family came to Minnesota. We came in faith. I was in, five and a half years ago, we were in a small town in Missouri, and we had been there for eight years. I always say I was quarantined. I was was in prison down in Missouri for eight years. 
It's a small little town down there, and it, uh, Woody Guthrie's got his great, great line, broke, busted, and couldn't be trusted. That was that town, St. Joe. That's where we were living. We loved that town. We did great youth ministry there, the people there. We loved the people, but it, it got to a place where we were just playing it safe. We had deep roots there, but I was just miserable. I, didn't, I wasn't feeling challenged. I felt like I was created for more, and, and, but it was the safe option to stay there. And I remember sitting with a man named Hans Kunstra. He was a minister from the Netherlands. He came over, and he said, Shay, when are you going to move? I said, what do you mean, Hans? He said, I see this with pastors all the time. They get comfortable, and then they become like hamsters in a hamster wheel where they just run in place. And he said, that's the safe, safe option. And, and really, Shay, you could go for the rest of your life and never move this out of this place and never push the boundaries and never go for it. But he said, Shay, I believe you're made for something more. And it, deep in my gut, I knew that was true. And so we came to Minnesota. We had the opportunity to come up here, and we sold two houses down in Missouri. We moved our family up here. And it was a big risk. We didn't know anybody up here. And did you know it's cold in the winter times up here? I mean, it was just, you know, it was a big move. But can I tell you something? I have learned, I have come to learn the, the thrill of the moment of stepping out and not being sure if there's landing underneath your foot and realizing, hope. Oh, God was there all along. He was calling us out. And we could have played it safe. Yeah, but can you imagine what we would have missed? I would have missed you. You would have missed me and my family if we never stepped out in childlike faith. What are you missing? What are those around you missing? Because you have lost your childlike faith. The righteous will live by faith. David doesn't look at how tall Goliath is. David doesn't look at the fact that he doesn't have a, even have a sword. David understands that God is for him. And if God is for him, who can be against him? And he's young enough and he's crazy enough to go for it. And what happens? He kills the giant. A great victory is won. If we're going to grow up spiritually, the first thing we learn from David is we have to find our childlike faith. May God increase our faith. The second and last point I want to just briefly talk about today is this second idea that if we're going to grow up spiritually, we are going to have to be willing to face the giants. You know what a giant is? You know what a giant is? The giant in this story was nine feet tall. His name was Goliath. But here's what I would say. Every one of us have giants that come around in our life as well. On a personal level, we face giants all the time. You know what it looks like? A giant would be something like anger or addiction. Or, or it would be that thing that keeps coming around. You, can't, you just can't get victory over. Maybe it's great depression. Maybe it's a painful, shameful past that just slows you down. We talked about it earlier this year when we talked about baggage claim. It's just that baggage that keeps coming up in our lives. I would say this, a great picture of this is a giant. Why would I call it a giant? Because what was Goliath doing? He was taunting and mocking God's people. What are the things in your life that consistently taunt and mock God's work and his mercy and his grace that's taking place in your life? What are the things that you, the walls you keep bumping up against? 
Time after time after time. What are the things in your life that are robbing you from God's best? Those are giants. Those are giants. You know, as a pastor, I, I get to meet with people uh, periodically. And most of the time when somebody comes and they want to have an appointment, most of the time it's because they are dealing with something. Let's just call it, I'll call it today, a giant. They're dealing with a giant. They're sitting with me because they've lost someone and they're in deep grief. They, they, they have a, a reoccurring thing of anger or lust or greed or depression. Or here's one that I, heard, I sat with a lady the other day. She was in tears and she said to me, she said, Shay, I have never been convinced that God loves me. I have never felt good enough. I always feel like I need to strive and achieve to try to get God's approval. What is that? That is a giant called condemnation. It's a giant called you're not good enough. You know, even in my own life, I came from a broken family. My, my parents split when I was three, and I have been fighting uphill ever since. I've had some low moments and some high moments. I've had some moments of pain and some moments of victory, but the giants that I've faced are, the, are, are the, the giants of feeling like I'm not good enough or the giants of feeling like I'm not, I'm, nobody approves of me or that I, I don't have self-worth. Those are, those are giants I've been fighting my entire life. But I just stopped by to encourage you tonight that one of the things David teaches us is that you and me, as God's people, we're called to be giant slayers. Giant killers. That you don't have to lay down and surrender to that giant anymore. See, here's what happens. We get used to the giants. Tell me if you haven't ever done this before. We get so used to those giants being in our life that we just accept them and we start making excuses for them. I'm Irish. Angry. Anger is in my blood. Right? Oh, I, I, I just, I, I have a drink every now and then and... Everybody around you is saying it's too much, but you're saying, you know what, it, it, it's just kind of calling my nerves or whatever. And you, you just start making, you make, start making excuses. And you start giving in. And you just start saying, I'm not going out there to fight that thing. And for 40 days and 40 nights, your whole life, that thing has been mocking the call of God on your life. That thing has been stealing from you and robbing from you. And if I could leave you with something tonight, I would say to you, you have been called by God to confront the giant and take him out. You can grow up. You can get through that thing. You can come out on the other side and have some victory. I believe it with all of my heart. Those are personal giants. The other giants that we're called to confront are, I would call them regional giants. Things like human trafficking. Things like extreme poverty in our world. Things like uh, people in our, in our world that have no fresh water. Uh, you, you can name all the world's problems. Violence. Uh, extremism. All these things that are robbing and taking life off of our planet, taking life away from people, God's creation. We as the church are called to stand up to regional giants, to global giants even, and be like David. Part of growing up is to be like David and to say enough is enough. Here's what I believe as I was preparing. I told you guys I was going to leave it all on the field tonight. Here's what I believe. As I was preparing for you, I felt like, I felt prompted that God has been trying to give some of us vision, a vision for some of these global regional giants. And we have said in our head, who am I? I'm just one person. I could never make a difference. Stop it. Stop. David was nobody special. 
He was 15 years old. He did not have the physical attributes. He did not even have a stinking sword to go out there and kill Goliath. It was not about David. It was about David being willing to step out into what God had called him to do. And all he had to do was show up. God did the rest. Quick question, because I'm, I'm running out of time quick. Quick question. How did God take care of this giant? For 40 days and 40 nights, what did he do? He mocked God's people. He mocked God. At any point, did God step in and strike the man dead? No. What did it take? What did it take? It took a person to say enough is enough. This is the pattern that we see throughout Scripture. This is the pattern we see throughout Scripture. That whenever God moves, he does it in tandem with a person. You can pray till you're blue in the face that he would do something about that thing over there. And maybe the answer to your prayer is, why don't you go do something? Step out and go find out that I'm out there in front of you. I'm already there. But it's, I'm going to do it in partnership with a person. You know, this is what we, this is what we experienced at, Shaka, at our Shakopee campus. We've sat around, we've prayed, we looked at it from every angle. You know, some of you don't know, we started a campus out in Shakopee. Everybody around us was telling us it's a church planting graveyard. Churches have tried, failed, don't go out there. It's a cursed place. There's all kinds of history going on. And I just kept hearing in my heart over and over again, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. That's straight out of the mouth of Jesus. So anytime I heard that, I would just say it out loud. The gates of hell will not prevail against what God is doing in and through his church. We believe we're called to Shakopee. You know what? I, I can't tell you how much of a miracle it was that when we did step out and go for it, what happened? Inside of a year, we weren't looking for it. We owned the whole building, and now we got a church of 750 people out there worshiping every day. God was already out there waiting on us, waiting on somebody to go for it. If I could leave you with anything, one lasting impression it would be this. My heart is that you wouldn't play it safe. Guys, our, our world, the people you live next to, your, your people in your own family cannot afford for you to play it safe. Cannot afford for Hosanna to play it safe. Our world cannot afford for us to hide behind the wagons and look at the giant every now and then and say, I hope somebody does something about it. The call of God on the church, the call of God on you is that you would get a vision. You would spend your life on purpose. You would leave it all on the field and you'd take nothing home with you. And you'd die someday in your bed with no regrets knowing that you gave everything that you had to the Lord every single time this is my prayer for you which category are you in are you like David or are you going to be like everybody else my prayer is that we grow up and we be everything that God has called us to be I believe that amen let's pray Lord, I did my very best tonight. And as always, I, I just want to say to you, um, I, I give that to you, and I ask that you would fill in the gaps. <laughs> would you just, uh, 
Would you impact hearts? Would you plant seeds of faith? Would you help us reclaim our childlike faith? Would you give us courage to confront the giants in our own lives and then the giants that we see in our world? Give us a vision. God, I pray you stir up vision. Keep us up at night. Make us uncomfortable. Plant a seed that won't in us, in our hearts, that won't leave us alone, that you give us ideas and you, you compel us to step out of faith and to go for it, just like David did on the battlefield. Help us, Lord. We say we need more faith. We want to believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, I do pray that. I pray a great blessing over each heart as we hear your words. May it bear great fruit in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 I'm fired up. I don't know about you. You want to tell this guy thank you? Is that all right? You can tell him thank you. So right now, I know we're in overtime. I know we're in overtime here, but we, but we, can't, we can't let him leave without praying over him. Pastor Ryan asked me this week, he said, Chris, I got to be in Shakopee this week installing Tony Sconza as their new campus pastor out there. So would you pray over Shay uh, at the end of the service? And I said, I'd be honored to do it. How many of you by a show of hands would say that Shay has helped you draw closer to Christ over the years? Yeah. How many of you by a show of hands believe that God is ahead of Shay in Baltimore, ready to do a great work? Last question, how many of you believe that all things are possible for Shay? Amen. Shay, we believe in you. We believe in what God is doing in you. Would you take those hands? Let's extend them to Shay now. Yeah. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we lift up our friend, our pastor, Shay, to you. And Lord, we release him to you. God, we thank you, Lord, that the best things are yet to come for him. God, I thank you, Lord, for the things that you have called him to. And Lord, we ask that they be above and beyond all that he asks for things. Lord, may you make a great way for his family, for the kids, for Diane. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that when others see a giant Baltimore, Lord, Shay sees a target he can't miss. So Lord, would you give him faith, faith beyond what he sees now. And Lord, we release him to you. God, we thank you for what he's done here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. We love you, man. All right, well, uh, Shay's going to be out in the CLC. Be sure to stop by, tell him thank you, give him a hug, all right? God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.